I need to get better Please make me better I want to get better 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 acquainted with you Hello, my name's Dave and I'm the guy that puts Getting Better Acquainted together. Over the last few years since I went freelance, I've started putting out an episode of the show at the beginning of the year, just after New Year, where I talk about what's happened to me that year, where I'm at, uh, where I'm going in the future, those sorts of things. Um, I've always found New Year to be a good thing. I mean, it's arbitrary. There's no reason why New Year is the end of the year. It's a strange place to end the year, really. It's in the middle of the darkness, and it takes a long time for the light to come. Um, But nevertheless, New Year has, through circumstance, through accident or whatever, become a thing that I, I take very seriously. I spend time thinking about what's happened to me, where I'm at, but also I sort of think about what music I've heard that year or what things I've seen or what 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 experiences, what memories I've created that year. And generally speaking, it's a useful process and it has been certainly a really useful process since I went freelance. And the initial one was absolutely, that was before I went freelance when I, I knew I had six months left of my job and then I was jumping into the unknown and so I was kind of overtaken during that time with kind of anxiety and that first analysis that first new year was quite useful and that first of these kind of extra episodes of getting better acquainted was yeah certainly coming from a place of absolute kind of I don't know what the fuck is going to happen and then the year after that it was a oh it's okay. I think the parachute is opened and I think I'm safe. And then the the year after that, it was, oh, fuck, the parachute didn't open. Did it open? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, this year, I mean, I'm not really particularly in a different place than that. The parachute, I mean, what the fuck is a parachute what does it mean what does this metaphor mean in a world where everyone is falling like i feel like in this political moment there are so many terrifying things happening and sad things happening and uh, difficult things happening all over the world like violence and the rise of right-wing fascist i would say but some people will quibble over that word but whatever groups of racist uh xenophobic sexist people are feeling kind of gathering together and feeling like this is the time to sort of push back against the groups that they think are to blame for the problems that they face in the world um but that is not true and that is something that is motivated often by media and often by people in power in my view and also i'm not really trying to kind of paint the people uh, in that way necessarily. Everyone's a complicated tapestry of different things and there are working class people who are not like any of those things. There are middle class people who embody all of those things. It's not a class statement. I mean, we're at a time when it's become incredibly important to make it clear that you're not writing off whole groups of people at the same time as you're trying to stop 
whole groups of people from being written off, from being demonised and from being blamed for problems that are not their fault in any way. Uh, I feel like it's a time when we need to come together in solidarity, um, but at the same time, we can't come together in solidarity until we start listening to each other and accepting that we have different experiences and that we don't know what it's like to be someone else and that their pain and their problems need to be factored in to the liberation of everybody. So it's a really complicated time and I don't really know where I'm at. Um, I don't really know where the world is at. And, you know, this tradition of new year looking back at my life that's not that's not particularly working for me this year it's not not working for me it's been interesting to to look back at my year it's been uh, it's been quite a uh, a kind of relaxing process in a way because everything that I thought had happened had happened. It wasn't one of those years where I looked back and went, whoa, I've done loads of work and I didn't even realise it. I did realise it. I was doing loads of work all year and I was absolutely aware of how hard I was working and I was absolutely aware of how little or much money I was making at any time. Uh, financially, this year, I, I've just about broken even. I've just about managed to pay the rent every month but it's been tight and it's going to continue to be tight and there's no let up of that and that that circumstance being in a precarious circumstance means that you're always assessing your actions you're always thinking am I doing enough is this enough is this enough is this enough uh, and have I got enough time to do enough have I got enough hours of the day to do enough work to get paid enough to pay the rent like that has been very much a lot of the thought process of mine all year. Like I haven't been able to not think about survival to a certain extent. And that's not to say I'm not relatively privileged. I mean, that's the thing. Everybody's struggling, but everybody's not struggling equally. Uh, I have a home. Not many people do not have homes. I have uh, made enough to pay my rent. Uh, but if I fail to pay my rent, there will be some money that I can ask for from relatives or people I know. I'm not prepared to do that necessarily at this moment in time, but it is a choice that I have that I can take and many cannot. And basically, when you have a certain level of privilege you know that there will be people who will catch you to a certain extent but privilege isn't infinite and it takes a few generations maybe to squander the money that white privilege and being middle class and all of these things uh, bestow us um, but it, you can squander it you can uh, squander it all and you can find yourself in different circumstances some of the guests I've had on getting better acquainted over the years very much are testaments to how circumstances can absolutely change change and things can turn on turn on a dime and so i'm i guess i'm very and i'm very afraid for for for, for many people at this moment uh, in terms of how uh how in danger we might be uh, not just through austerity and the increase kind of the increasing pressures on people in their working lives in their in their social uh, well their attempts to have social lives uh in their in the like all of us we're under pressure in the under the pressure cooker of the tightening up of 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 resources in the world like it's not just about money and economy it's about environment um and it's also about people about the fact that we are a global economy and that means that we have global responsibilities we're not just a global 
economy we're a global network of people and all of the privilege that we have is based on often other people's pain and struggle and you can't have a world like that without it erupting into wars and uh, those wars creating and uh, creating migration and us having to help those people whose countries we have damaged and we should that is what we should do but that is not what we are being told to do that is not what we're telling each other we should do we're not looking at the world and going how can we help this situation to stop in and to be reduced to help things in as many ways as we can we're not looking at the world in that way and so it's a strange time it's a strange time to be looking at my year i mean this year i've done some of the best creative work i think i've ever done um i was going to play lots of clips in this episode but i'm not now because uh it was hard you know it was going to be a lot of extra work during this kind of relatively peaceful time that i'm trying to have now um and so i don't really think i'm going to do that but it's all out there for people to listen to i mean i've done a show called the family tree with my partner jen which is something i'm incredibly proud of uh it's a a magical realist audio drama and it is kind of unlike anything i think that exists and it's not just something that we made it made itself and the performers uh in it and the musician who made the music they all made it too they made it in so many ways because a lot of that show was also improvised and uh, all of the performers are people who, who who make work themselves and so it's a, a collaboration and it's also got kind of spin-off episodes which are interviews with real people and i was amazed at the people I managed to to get on the show to speak uh, about different things depending on the episode I had some amazing conversations with people too many of them were through Skype which is always frustrating but I've I've done that you can hear me on Radio 4 I think that's still available to listen to I was on Forethought uh, doing a talk about liberating men my solo show What About the Men Mansplaining Masculinity uh is something that I released this year as a podcast. It's the last podcast that Stand Up Tragedy released, and you can listen to that uh, in its entirety. That's a show that I am very proud of making. That's an act of activism to a certain extent, as well as uh, art and as well as kind of education. And uh, I've done that this year a couple of times, and every time I do it, it's it's a great thing to do, and it creates uh, complicated reactions in the audience in terms of Lots of men cry uh, when they listen to, to watch that show. Um, some some people have uh, r- many different reactions are evoked in the audience, but uh, but but I think in a hopefully a positive way. Um, I've performed it, uh, it for my kind of for my stand up tragedy audience uh, this year, but I also uh, performed it at the UCL uh, to in a, well there was an auditorium that could contain three hundred people and it was mostly full, uh, and so it was probably the biggest audience I've done it to uh, and that was an, an audience of students and so that was very important to me uh, to be able to be in a space where people who are, uh, are at the age when I was with some of this sort of elements of that show and who I'd, I wish I wish I'd had the show I made the show for me you know everybody always makes the things they make uh, for themselves uh, really as well as for everybody 
that they're kind of imagining of their audience and it was it was great to be able to go and do it in a space where I could have benefited from it you know it's like having a time machine to send back to yourself although obviously I can't go back and change my past I can at least help some people's presence and uh, that was a great experience too because I met for the first time, my first in real life men's rights activists, uh, one of them was a man and one of them was a woman and they came along to, and they uh, kind of over overtook the question and answer session, dominated it a little bit too much, probably, possibly, arguably. Uh, and then afterwards, I had a lot of conversations with them. And you know what? You know, yeah, they were people. Uh, as and they have reasons for being men's rights activists I think particularly the woman uh, and those are her reasons and I, I can't really go into them on mic but I could see why she'd come to some of the conclusions that she'd come to um, but it doesn't mean that just because those people are people it doesn't mean they're not wrong in what they believe and it doesn't mean that following that way of thinking doesn't end in 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 some of the terrible things that are happening in this world um so i want to reach out to those people and to change their minds but you know i'm also very aware that we're at a time when actions are going to possibly be necessary and i'm a person who doesn't really believe in violence i don't believe in it because i don't think it works to a certain extent i don't think that if you overthrow people violently that you end up putting people in power who are going to be any better than the ones before because violence kind of breeds a certain kind of cultural uh experience and it creates kind of violence it creates more violence but at the same time there are some people you can't reason with at some points in time. If somebody is going to come for you and put you in a prison or a camp, then uh, that is someone you have to fight back against. That is uh, self-defense, but also we are collectively responsible for each other. And so we need to defend each other. So it's a really complicated time to be trying to go through my life. And it, it's interesting I mean, I'm sure you've noticed it, psychiatrist listeners out there, that I can't really avoid kind of coming back to the world. I'm trying to look at myself, but here I am back in the world. Um, I was on an episode of the Z-List Deadlist where I was talking about uh, my dad and how he had some spies who, interestingly, those spies, again, here I am going back to the, the things that are really consuming me and concerning me. But but the, 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 that story that I told on the, the, the Z-List Deadlist was a historical story about some people who touched my dad's life and they were spies they were conscientious objectors in the second world war and there came a point where they had to decide to not be pacifists and to and to become a part of the war effort and maybe they were right maybe they were wrong but that's a decision that they made and you know it's a it's a decision that i'm i'm weighing over in this time of of crisis i mean some people will think i'm overreacting to worry about these things um but you know I don't know if I am, and I hope you're right if you do think I am. Uh, I, I, I really, I really want to be overreacting. I really want it to turn out that the election of Trump and the rise of fascism all the way across Europe and, 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 and Russia and, and you know, just the, the world that we have. I, I, I really hope it will just all blow over and not be any big deal. Um, but I don't think it will, and it certainly won't if we don't fight it in whatever ways we can and in that respect i think we're all each other's allies like liberals you can uh be allies to uh radical leftists and radical leftists you can be allies to uh center right conservatives with a, with a small c or whatever people anybody that doesn't want 
fascism to happen and doesn't want yeah it doesn't want fascism to happen we're all each other's allies and there are many ways of fighting back and some of that is going to be through uh through media through uh art through just getting to know people and talking to people changing people's minds education all of those things and some of it might be through going down and and doing counter marches against fascist marches uh, some of it might be to do with uh, non-violent direct action some of it might be to do with civil be- civil disobedience some of it might be to do with uh, standing for election as part of the mainstream politics all of this stuff uh, there are all ways we can fight back and certainly I'm looking in my life for ways that I can fight back but it's ironic because in my own personal life what I need really is more time and more time to be me to connect with the world to to remember what it is to be me and all these nice lovely things that are really nice to do in times when you have relative peace and you don't have to worry about these other things so I, I fear my personal narrative and the narrative of the world are slightly at odds uh, at the moment and that my next year I'm going to be trying to kind of personally take some of the stress and pain and and struggles out of my life where I can. Uh, But uh, in terms of my my activism, the way I look at the world, I I feel like I'm going to be trying to take on more uh, responsibilities to try and do more, uh, to to, to make more stress for these uh, movements that think that they can just uh, come in and take over without any fight back. Uh, there must be some kind of a fight back. That fight does not have to be literal violence. And I don't know any answers. I don't see any answers, you know. I'm not positive that way. I don't see much hope uh, in terms of environment, in terms of these potential wars and and, and, and movements. Um I mean, it's already been pretty bad for a long time. Anyway, to to carry on my my roundup of the year, um, my personal life stuff has been much more in getting better acquainted uh, because partly because it's it's less of a time lapse on the episodes these days. I'm very very much run out of 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 conversation, so I'm always trying to get more conversations. And I've had a few months of this year where I've had to grab a load of of, of conversations and and build up the stores so that I could. Uh, do other other projects um so it's always a bit desperate these days to get new people on the show but that means that you've pretty much heard a lot of stuff from my current life and you've heard a lot of my current thinking has 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 been uh flowed over into those conversations and a lot of my concerns no doubt i've addressed in some of those podcasts particularly towards the end of the year and probably the biggest moment emotionally in some ways for me was 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 getting a dog called nugget and then uh deciding that we couldn't look after that dog nugget not at the moment not in our precarious state and also uh not in that literal moment like we chose the the worst moment because we thought it was the right moment but you can't control what work you're going to have to do uh, as a freelancer you can't control how busy you're going to be at any time and we had we chose a dog that would have needed a lot of work and we needed to not choose that dog so we had to give that dog back and you can hear that in the episode about nugget so even that like i'm not going to give much more time to that because that that's already been covered on the show 
So, yeah, I mean, I'm frustrated by being a freelancer, but I've got just about enough work to keep me going. Uh, I've done work for our Warwickshire, where I, I kind of went and, and did an oral history project for a big chunk of this year, where I recorded with people all over Warwickshire about their lives and their, their relationship to their heritage and their history and their culture. And those are really amazing pieces of audio that I really wish were out there for people to listen to, but they're not currently uh they may be in the future the council has to decide what to do with it but if there's anybody listening who happens to be a kind of radio producer do reach out to me about this you can find me on uh, goosefat101 at gmail.com um because there's amazing tape there there's amazing uh, conversations amazing people and there's a there's a real variety of different people so there's loads of things that can be done with those recordings and and one of the things that certainly I know the BBC wants to do but certainly something that all media should be trying to do is hear more voices and unheard voices and these are certainly not London centric voices and they're certainly uh, the voices of people who are older than a lot of the voices that we hear they're also the voices of migrants and the voices of working class people uh, and the voices of people whose just lives and jobs and experiences are, are rarely rarely told and rarely featured and so I think there's a lot of value in them and I hope at some point next year to work out how to to get that good tape out there to people who can who can take it further than I can because getting a getting reaching out and reaching people reaching building up an audiences that's a hard thing to do but that said I mean this year I guess I've I've reached probably the most people I've ever reached. I mean, Radio 4 is the, the widest audience I've ever reached and I've had a very positive response to the thing that I did on there. And I've, I've, I've reached new people with the family tree and that's been great. And I know that that's a, it's a long commitment. It's 12 episodes and 12 extra bits and it's a kind of whole season of audio, but it's all there now. So if you're someone who likes to binge on, on DVD box sets, that's all there for you. And it's a great ride. It begins as a mystery and it, and then it goes to other places that you wouldn't necessarily expect. So just like with last year, I've been doing a monthly podcast for the Restart Project and I've had some amazing uh, experiences meeting some of the guests that I've had on there and I'm really pr proud of many of the episodes that we've put out this year. Um, so I'll put links to all of that stuff in the show notes too. Uh, I was going to put clips, but as I say, I'm saving myself some time by not banging myself against that brick wall. And I also, I've done some work uh, for BAFTA. I've done some work for Spark. I've done lots and lots of different kinds of work and I've I've secured some new projects that are going to be starting next year but the thing is that there's two real problems with a lot of the work I'm doing either it's admin and it seems to me that these days I end up getting more work doing admin for people I think are really amazing artists rather than having any end in sight for my own admin or it's editing. And the thing about editing is I've come to realise it's a little bit like being a sculptor for me, my, my process at least. I know that there's crafts people out there who make audio, but I'm not really a crafts person. I'm kind of an artist. And so for me, it's like I'm chipping away at this material. I don't know how it's going to look in the end. And I'm kind of taking all of the audio in and I'm working out how it looks. And the thing is that that's a very hard process to estimate the timings for, you know, like a friend of mine, dad is a plumber and when you when you're a plumber you 
have this thing where you give someone an estimate of how long it's going to be and you give them that price. And if you're an honourable person and if that's the way you work, then you have to provide them with the work for that price, even if it's going to take you longer and it's actually going to cost you more time of your own life because you want to make sure that you do what you said you're going to do. And that's very much how it is with audio. I find it really hard to know how long it's going to take me to do it. And the thing is, I'm doing audio for money and then I'm doing audio for my own projects, which I hope will make money, which kind of means, you know, working nine till uh, six on a someone else's project and then working six till, you know, 9.30 or whatever, however much I can squeeze in on my own project. And that's uh, a difficult thing for me to do, uh, to fit in, to just find the time. But it also means I, I'm hating editing. I like hate, 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 hate doing it. Like it eats all my time and I don't enjoy very much about it, which is not to say I don't enjoy the things I make. Uh, some of my favourite times this year was performing in the family tree and recording the uh, the performances of the of the actors who are, who are performing with me and those conversations on there. That's been when I felt most alive and 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 also when I was planning the family tree when we were writing the family tree. But this year, instead of going to Edinburgh like I have done general years, I replaced Edinburgh with editing, and I basically spent all of August working on the family tree and editing like properly like you know 10 till 6 every day pretty much six days a week I think it was and it was it was very very intense and my partner Jen was also doing it so it was very intense working uh, and we worked really hard we made a great series and then we managed to scrape in a few days to go off on holiday uh, for the first holiday we've had since I've been freelance uh, we went to Bournemouth and we did have an amazing time where we recharged and I I wrote a letter to my to myself which I'm vaguely doing some of the the action points on now and I'll I'll stick a link to that I guess in the show notes but the thing was we didn't really even manage to get quite as much as we'd hoped to do and so we've actually spent quite a lot of our of our autumn time not just uh, promoting the show and uh, putting the show out but we've also done final edits every week and we've done some kind of last minute uh, extra editing and some things that Jen had to do over again because she lost it over the summer so it's been quite a battle to get that show done um it's meant a lot to us. Uh, we've got some patrons and you can sign up to be a patron for the second season. And we could really do with that because we got some really big ideas for the second season. Um, and I think that, you know, it would be amazing to be able to go into making that season knowing we were going to be able to afford to do it. And that we can do that if people sign up to the patron. So we're going to update what the patron's about very, very soon. But basically, you're only going to be charged every episode and we'll let you know well in advance how many episodes are going to come when they're coming and all of that stuff so that you can plan your money and you can cancel your patreon you you can cancel your patronage if you need to i've done a lot of training this year i've trained people how to make podcasts i've done training with people in how to tell stories and i really feel like i can do that now i've definitely got to the stage with 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 doing running workshops and training people how to make podcasts that i i felt i guess after a few years of working in the libraries where you start to literally know how to do your job you can do it without thinking without worrying and uh, that's been a really great thing to to find this year i don't feel like that about editing partly because 
you're not edit when you're editing for someone else you're not editing by your own standards you're editing by somebody else's standards and you're trying to achieve that and that's really difficult but when i am doing training i really know i feel like i know and i'm what i'm doing and i also feel like i'm doing a good job and that that what i'm saying is is valuable to people who i'm i'm training which is a nice feeling to have and 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 pushes back on imposter syndrome very pleasingly uh, i've also i did a, a podcast conference a more inspirationally aimed talk to the students there about about how to make podcasts and hopefully I kind of gave people an idea that there was many many ways to skin a podcast and that there are that we have so many more options than we often think and it's up to us to make make what podcasts are and to make what our audio landscape is going to be like we can we can all do that in our own ways and we can have a lot of different approaches to these things i've been on a few podcasts too i've been trying to promote the family tree um, but i'm over on the song by song podcast me and my partner jenna the guests on the song by song podcast at the moment so you can listen to us over there now i've been to brighton a lot this year i don't know why but that's just where uh, my life has taken me partly because i've had to do a lot of restart interviews in brighton and i've been to warwickshire a lot but i haven't really seen my friends I've traveled around the country but when I've not been traveling around the country I've just been in my house working uh, and haven't really had much social life and seen friends and things like that and I want to do that I want to make connections again with the world with uh, with my community with the people I care about because that's one of the ways to fight back against this world that we're we're stumbling into is to is to remember to connect with people and to to keep informed with each other and to listen to each other um to not kind of get just isolated i mean that's how i felt a lot of this year very isolated very alone even though you know i've got my partner and i see her all the time being worried being afraid feeling depressed which i've experienced a lot of this year those things they make you feel alone and you know i have tried to get help uh, for my anxiety and my depression this year that's one of the things I've done and I I spoke again at a spark event about you know which we where we collaborated with mind and I'll probably play that on the podcast at some point I don't seem to have it on my computer at the moment but that story that I told then uh, at that event was about how uh, it's hard to access mental health on the NHS even if you're like me with super loads of privilege and um, and I've I've actually kind of pretty much given up I've I've been diagnosed now with anxiety disorder, although that's not my diagnosis. I think I have anxiety and depression, um, but I have not received any help yet. And in fact, next year, I'm going to take a friend up on an offer for them to pay for me to get therapy because the NHS has not provided me with that. But getting better acquainted has provided me with therapy and also running the hackney branch of spark true stories has really helped i mean to hear to be in that space every month is a it's a healing it's a healing process it's a it's 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 good to hear 
other people's stories and realize you're not alone and in 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 the new year uh, as 2017 goes on i'm going to be co-producing a couple of nights that are focusing on storytelling and maybe they'll manage to get me some regular income my regular gigs are still not quite enough to to cover my rent so if i if i manage to get those to to fill that gap that will be amazing one of them i can't really talk about yet because it's not all it's not all uh, decided it's not all been finalized yet and so when it is finalized i will announce it i'm not announcing it before then but the other one is definitely happening i'm co-producing uh, Cameron Moore, who has been on Getting Better Acquainted before, she is bringing her sex-positive storytelling night, Smut Slam, to London once a month. The first one is on the 11th of January at the Rose and Crown in Kentish Town. It's kind of downstairs in this pub, in this kind of cave down there. It's a very Edinburgh-feeling venue, and it's going to be a really unique and brilliant experience that night. She hosts it. It's an open mic, so the the audience tell their stories about their sex lives and their experiences. And we've got a kind of celebrity panel of judges and there's prizes and all sorts of things. It's going to be a really great experience. So if you're in London or you find yourself in London on Wednesday, the 11th of January, get yourself along to Kentish town and experience a smut slam. But if you're not in London, she's doing it in a load of other cities too. So it's also going to be in Bristol, in Brighton, in Glasgow, in manchester look out for that uh i'll put some links in the show notes but also you know google is always your friend and so find cameron moore's smut slams and get yourself along but yeah spark and getting better acquainted and maybe smut slam too they provide me with some therapy with some connection with a sense of community they give me an investment in the world around me they make me feel like i'm not alone and I'm going to end this update with a story that I told at Spark London, which I told at the London Podcast Festival as part of uh, the show that Spark London put on there. And this story, I guess it's kind of an origin story for me. It's kind of a story about how I came to make Getting Better Acquainted, about why I do Spark London and even about why I make the family tree. In fact, I told it the weekend before the family tree launched and I kind of referenced that in it. And that's how we're going to end today's show. But before I do, I want to just mention one of the things that I used to make that I'm not currently making. This year, I finally got the Stand Up Tragedy website looking the way I wanted it. And I did a few Stand Up Tragedy Presents shows and they didn't really help my mental health or make any money particularly. Stand Up Tragedy, I said, was on ice for a year. It's now kind of ongoingly on ice. To end today's episode, here is me talking at the London Podcast Festival about myself because that's what today's episode has been. Just me talking about myself. But do tune in next week for me talking to other people and uh, continue listening and supporting Getting Better Acquainted over this year. I mean, I don't know who's going to be on it. It's exciting for me too, um, but I am going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep getting people on and keep talking to people and keep uh, sharing this stuff with you. If you want to donate, you can do that on the SoundCloud page. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at 
GBA podcast. You can find it on Facebook, Getting Better Acquainted, and you can find it uh, anywhere that podcasts go to hang out on the internet. So subscribe to it there, review it on iTunes, tell your friends about it. Let's finish with that story, as I've already promised you a number of times. Here's me after some applause. I present to you your last storyteller of the evening, ladies and gentlemen, Dave Pickering. I remember the light. It was pale, bright light, and the cloud covered the entire sky in whiteness. And I was looking through this fence at my old secondary school. And in one hand, I held a microphone, and in my other hand, I held a smartphone. And I was talking into that microphone. I was narrating my experience of standing there in Cardiff, looking back at that secondary school that I'd been in and thinking about the distance between the child I was then and the man in my late 20s that I was now. And I looked down at my smartphone, and someone had tweeted a quote from the actress Lily Tomlin that said, forgiveness means giving up all hope for a better past. And I looked at my school, and I looked at that microphone, and I looked at that smartphone and that quote, and I felt a moment of peace. Now, if you hate yourself, it's really, really tempting not to think about yourself, to find things to distract yourself from thinking about who you are and what made you. And I have certainly been very guilty of doing that in my life. But I didn't always hate myself. Uh, When I was a little kid, I just loved life. I loved the way that the world was. I was really interested in, in things and ideas and fantasies and magic and stories and imaginary worlds. And I loved that. I loved the world. And then when I reached eight years old, that kind of utopia of excitement about ideas and the world was lost to me. And my family kind of started to disintegrate and become an unpleasant uh, place. There was a lot of emotional abuse, quite a lot of uh, physical abuse. And there was kind of like screaming and shouting and mayhem. And stories stopped being magical for me and started being a way of escaping from reality, of looking away from the world that was around me. And that family that I had then kind of split apart. And we went from Coventry to Cardiff, where I went to secondary school, the school I was looking at at the beginning of this story. And in that secondary school, I really, really studied really hard how to hate myself because I was bullied and I was othered and I was spat on in the corridors and I was given a nickname and everywhere I went people would ridicule me and so I started to really embrace fiction telling fiction and and writing songs and telling poems and things like that as a kind of rebellion against that I started to think of myself as a kind of tortured artist I was suffering for my art my job was to to take the world and to make it into art I was separate from other people that's what I was and I sort of came up with this idea that I was a method writer that I went out and had experiences so I could write about them and that's how I lived my life as a teenager and into my 20s until one day a friend of mine said to me 
why don't you tell a story at Spark London? And I sort of thought about my life and thought, well, I don't know if I've got anything that's going to fit the themes. And I kept an eye on the themes and every month a different theme would come out. And, it, and I'd think, oh, there's nothing that would fit my life in that. And then one day the theme was uh, mistaken identity. And I thought, I've got a story that fits that theme. So I found myself on a stage telling my first true story. Uh, and the story that I told was about when I, uh, one Christmas when I was around eight years old, uh, the present around the tree that I picked up, it seemed to say Dave on it. So I unwrapped it, but in fact, it said dad. And that was my stepdad's present. And my mum lost her shit and screamed at me that I'd ruined Christmas, stormed out of the room, stomped up the stairs. My stepdad grabbed me by the arm and pushed me back into the Christmas tree, told me that I'd made my mother cry. And then he hit me. And when I told that story and when I tell that story now, I can still feel the spines of that Christmas tree in my back. And the thing is, I chose that story, I thought, because it fitted the theme. I thought, oh yeah, and in fact, in the rehearsal beforehand, I was asked, why did you choose to tell that story? And I said, oh, it just fitted the theme, you know, I haven't really got any issues around it, I'm fine. Uh, And now, looking back at it, I properly understand that that story was the story I needed to tell, a story that I needed to start to tell, I needed to start to look at my life and, and, and what created this sense of hating myself within me and around about that time when I was telling that story I also started to listen to podcasts ironically I'd already made podcasts but they were fictional podcasts and I never really listened to podcasts and I started listening to them and the thing I loved about podcasts was people telling true stories having proper communication connecting with each other talking about their lives and I became obsessed with that and I decided I will make my own podcast and I thought how can I create how can I engineer that sense of authenticity that podcasts seem to have. So I rung up my two oldest friends who I went to that school in Cardiff with and I invited them to join me for four days in a room in Manchester where we were going to solidly just talk about stuff and like there were different prompts and stuff like that and I thought this would be a great idea for a great show. It was not a great idea for a great show guys. It was a terrible idea for a great show because the thing is first of all that my two friends really just wanted to hang out with me and I wanted to make a podcast so there was already a conflict right at the heart of that show but then after those four days which were difficult and we didn't even stay in the room uh, but it was called four days in a room so I don't know but after those four days it was worse because then I spent an, a year and a half of my life going through those four days of material and trying to b- break them down into bite-sized chunks that would vaguely entertain people and I had to listen to myself a lot and I hated that self that I was listening to because it wasn't even the self I was now because when you get together with your two oldest friends you regress you regress to your 15 year old self and if you hated yourself extra especially at 15 it is really really horrible to listen to that self repeatedly when you should have grown up and I spent that whole year hating myself and at the end of it I was like oh I do not want people to only know me as a 15-year-old version of me. And I thought, when I have conversations with different people who are not those two old friends, I don't regress to when I'm 15. I'm a different person with different people. I'll make a show about that. And so I started to make a show, a new show about people, about 
how to connect with people. And I interviewed my closest friends and my family and uh, people I once met at parties, anybody. Basically, if you're in this room, you're eligible to be in my show now. Um, and when I, when I did that, I was doing it to, to connect with people, to have empathy and to see my, uh, like them through my, you know, imagine myself in their place. But weirdly, one of the things I started to do was to imagine myself from their eyes, to see how they saw me, to see how all these different people saw me. And the other thing I made that show to do was to learn how to listen, because I spent those four days not listening. And so I wanted to listen to people. And as I listened, as I confronted like the most important people in my life, I started to change. I started to change how I saw myself. I started to change how I interacted with the world. And I didn't just talk to people. I went back to places. So I went back to Cardiff, as you heard at the beginning of the story. And I went back to Coventry and I sat down with the mother of my best friend from primary school. And we sat in her kitchen and we talked about her life. And one of the things which she said to me is that I was a really serious child when she knew me. And that really shook my idea of who I was because I didn't remember that myself as a serious child. And then I realized that I was already eight when she met me and seriousness had descended on me. And so The first two years of getting better acquainted were euphoric. They were joyous. I was getting to know myself. My life was slotting into place. But anybody who's ever done work on yourself will probably know that that euphoria wears off. You sort of like, you start to get who you are and then, you know, you're still who you are. uh, And you still have to deal with that every day. But after those two years of euphoria, I still carried on to learn new things. I started to be able to describe myself as a person with mental health issues. I started to understand I had anxiety and I had depression. I started to understand some of the roots of where these things came. And I started to feel empathy, not just with my guests, but also occasionally, wonderfully, delightfully with my own self. And that was a kind of joyous position to be in. And I saw myself not as outside, not as a tortured artist, not as separate, but as part of a community, part of the human experience that I was struggling to get through life. And so were all the people that I was speaking to. And so that kind of like built up and built up and became my life. Like there is no part of my life pretty much now that is not online, that is not recorded and out there. You can hear about my sex life. You can hear about my traumas. It's all out there, guys. Uh, Good fun, the traumas, especially. Um, But yes, so I I became a podcaster. I became a person connected with and, and known for truth and honesty and openness. And that's great. But it's also a straitjacket because I didn't start off as somebody who talked about my traumas. I started off as a little boy excited about imaginary worlds. And so on Monday, I'm releasing this podcast that says, fuck you, truth, openness and honesty. I am now creating some fiction. But I guess the question is at this point, do I still hate myself? And the answer is yes. Frequently, I do hate myself. But the difference is that now I know not to trust that hate. I know that hate is a lie, that that hate is not all I am. And I sometimes can put myself into somebody else's position, empathise with myself and understand that forgiveness does mean giving up all hope for a better past. But that's okay because you have now. Thanks. Thanks.